Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining me for the latest episode of Full Comet. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. The federal conservative leadership race is still very much underway, and we have candidate Scott Agenson joining us for today's episode. Just a programming FYI, we've invited all six of the verified candidates to join us on the show, and so far we've released episodes with Pierre Polyev, Leslie Lewis, and Roman Baber. Now, the leadership results won't be announced until September, but as of June, things are already heating up. There's been debates, some contentious moments, some classic conservative family infighting, there's been polls released, and lots of touring across the country for leaders to share their vision. Scott Agenson, who's joining us now to share his vision, is currently the Conservative MP for the Ontario riding of Muskoka Perry Sound. Before becoming an MP in 2019, Agenson was the mayor of Huntsville, and prior to that, he was a councillor for the region starting at the age of 21. He joins us now. Hey, Scott, great to have you on the show. Welcome. That's great to be here. Thank you, Anthony. So the question I like to ask all the candidates uh, right off the bat, you're running for Conservative leader. Why? Why do you want to be leader? Why do you want to be the next Prime Minister? Well, I think it's time to start calling this country together. I'm, I've, you know, I've been in Ottawa now a few years, and I'm, I was pretty dismayed when I got there and found that it's a pretty divisive rhetoric and tone, and uh, our politics at the federal level has become more and more divisive. And I think that it's time for uh, someone with the sensibilities of a small-town mayor who talks about the things that unites Canadians and uh, bring us uh, closer together and, and talk about real solutions to the problems that Canadians face every day. So I hear that a lot about division, but but I hear from all different corners. Justin Trudeau will say things are too divisive. Uh, conservative politicians have said that. What do you mean uh, when you say that specifically? Well, I'm talking about a politics that has evolved to be more and more divisive over over those many years, right? It's uh, uh, and and both parties are guilty of it. I mean, the most recent example I think and uh, that we can see early is. Uh, Justin Trudeau's most recent behavior, de- trying to demonize the unvaccinated to appeal to the vaccinated. That was a, a disgusting display in the last election, but it was used to, to win votes and it, and it works. And, and this is the part of the problem that I see with our political war rooms on all sides, you know, looking for those wedge issues or those divisive comments that uh, pit one part of the country against each other or urban versus rural. It's uh, it's it's effective at winning votes in the short term, but there's a cumulative effect to all of those divisive wins. Uh, it doesn't build up a country, and it makes us more divided. And that's what I'm concerned about. And I've said many times, you only have to look uh, south of the border to see what the cumulative effect of that divisive rhetoric does. And uh, I I don't think Canadians want to go there. And what do you mean south of the border? What, what what particularly? Some people point to the election of Donald Trump as a bad thing. Other people mean more uh, leftward schisms that are happening. What what are you concerned about uh, happening in the U.S. that could be transported up here? Well, the particularly polarizing nature of their politics uh, is uh, it's it's certainly creeping into our politics here as well. Uh, that's what I think is is a problem. I think that it's important for for our politics and our and our, and citizens to be able to discuss and debate issues without without getting angry without hating each other we have to be able to disagree without being disagreeable and and we have to be able to talk about big issues and i don't think i feel like elections at the federal level not are not are not you know debated on big issues but they seem to be debated on personalities and uh, yeah. that's not good for our democracy it doesn't move a country forward and it doesn't bring canadians together uh, Canada can be so much more. This is the most amazing country in the world. We could be doing so much more 
uh, if we stop trying to divide each other just to win elections. Winning elections, like a, it's not a zero sum game. There's got to be, you know, there's got to be a vision, and uh, I, I don't, I don't see that. I think it's time that uh, we actually start articulating vision and ideas and having discussions with Canadians about where they want this country to go. Now, I know you gave Justin Trudeau and the unvaccinated demonization as an example, but but you also referenced political war rooms of all stripes. Do you believe that the Conservative Party, or, or at least some Conservative politicians in Canada, are, are problematic as well? Well, I think absolutely, and and I and I would I would cite examples in, in terms of the you know those various wedge issues that exist in our politics and how you know we as Conservatives talk about it. I mean. You think about uh, our discussions of climate change or firearms policy or, you know, you name them. Um, you know, we can be just as divisive on these issues as others. I'll, 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 take, I'll take, you know, firearms policy and legislation as just one example. Uh, you know, I think it's ridiculous how the Liberal government, you know, regularly tries to demonize law-abiding firearms owners uh, that predominantly live in rural Canada. Uh, they don't have a lot of support in rural Canada, so it's easy to do that. Uh, but there's a legitimate reason why we're talking about firearms policy. There are people that live in large urban centers that are scared because of the gun violence that exists in their communities and in, in their neighborhoods. Uh, but instead of talking about the real issue, the issue of illegal handguns being smuggled across our border, and the deeper issue of you know why there are young people in some communities in this country who feel their only hope for a future is to join a gang, we failed those kids. We failed those young people. So instead of having a real conversation about stopping the illegal flow of illegal handguns across our border and solving the problems of, of poverty and disparity in our, in our cities, uh, it's easy just to say we're going to ban all guns and demonize you know, law-abiding firearms owners. And, and conservatives cannot just you know, stick our heads to the sands and think that you know, people that live in cities are stupid. They're scared for legitimate reasons. But let's have an intelligent conversation about what we need to do to solve that problem, to solve the problem of, uh, of crime and violence and, and murder in our, in our larger centers. I feel like we're having the conversation a bit more nuanced than before. I think when a politician proposes, we got to ban handguns or ban bullets. I remember Adam Vaughn proposed that once, banning bullets. I think people now go, oh, I, I know the stat now about most guns coming across the border from the U.S. illegally. And I feel like liberal MPs like Bill Blair know that as well, being a former Toronto police chief. Why, why hasn't a more workable solution been done, Scott? Are they just not talking to the, the governors in those states properly or, or talking to the White House? or Like, what's going on? Because we all kind of have a sense of, let's stop with, to your point, the, the rhetoric here and let's get the results. It's because of politics. It's strictly because of politics. Uh, you know, we, we, the liberals love to use this issue to, to win support. I mean, they, they, they pander to people that live in cities uh, and, 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 and it's becoming completely polarized, right? So, you know, you get people on the one side of this issue who just say, we got to ban all guns, period. Ban them. Just par- why, why does anybody need a gun? Uh, but instead of listening to people that actually use guns, use firearms, who might even be firearms enthusiasts, may not, they might not be hunters. Um, but instead of trying to understand both sides of this issue and understand perspectives uh, and understand that, you know, the state limiting, you know, your rights to do whatever, that's be a good reason for it. Uh, instead of trying to understand each other, instead of instead of firearms owners trying to understand the fears that exist in cities, what politicians do is they is is they use these issues as wedge issues to garner support where they need to garner support to win elections, to win more seats. 
it's, it's, I've, I've seen it a few times now in Ottawa where it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, instead of choosing to move the country forward, instead of choosing, you know, a solution that actually is good for all Canadians, uh, we, you know, we play the political card instead and, uh, you know, demonize the other party and, and don't move anything forward. And it just continues to go around and around and around. And it makes it, I think it makes Canadians angry and it makes them more divided. And so our politics is directly involved in the division that exists in this country. Uh, and I fundamentally believe that it's time to change that. Scott, one of the notes I'd written in prep uh, was to ask you how you'd like to be known as in terms of, I know nobody wants the the, the soundbite to define them, but in terms of acknowledging, say, Jean Charest, former Quebec Liberal Premier. Okay, there you go. We know Leslie Lewis identified as more social conservative. Uh, Roman Baber, the guy who really didn't like the conservative lockdowns, uh, the, the COVID lockdowns. You've described yourself a couple times already as the small town mayor, and you've talked about bridging, you talked about small town Ontario, and then you've got people in rural Alberta, and then we got a place like Huntsville where you were mayor, which is kind of, I mean, it's not living on a rural road, it's a, it's a town, it's a, it's a community. Is, is that a way that you'd encourage us to think about you and your candidacy as, as the small town mayor? And is there, a, is there a solution to these issues that you're talking from that approach, from that mentality? Yeah, I guess so. I think that it's uh, it certainly defines you know my 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 public life very much so. I mean, my my time as as a municipal councillor and as as a mayor. I mean, this is a consensus building model, the municipal model, and and I was good at being the mayor. I loved being the mayor um, because I I brought people together and I led a council that could disagree without hating each other. I, I led a community that you know we didn't always agree on every issue, but we moved the community forward. I guess if I if I wanted to be defined by one thing, um, I guess I'd like to be known as as Scott the Peacemaker, Scott the Uniter. That uh, we need to unite our caucus, we need to unite our movement. Uh, Canadians are not going to trust conservatives to govern if we can't get along with each other, uh, and that starts with meeting with respect, listening to all sides of of an issue, uh, and understanding that there are different perspectives on issues, even within our our movement and our party. Uh, and we're not always going to agree, but we have to work to find the common ground. We have to work to find those areas where we all agree or where we can build some consensus and be united. Uni- unity doesn't mean uniformity, but it does mean we have to respect each other and hear each other out and find that common ground. That's the only way, that's the only way Canadians will trust us to lead and govern this country again. But do we also want strong leadership and vision? And you use the phrase vision, and I want to talk to you a bit uh, more about vision in a moment, but strong vision in a way that you're not going to win over everyone and you are going to ruffle a couple of feathers. When you say peacemaker, I, you know, I want to tone down the rhetoric, the tone, I go, that sounds really appealing. That's a great pitch to be intergovernmental affairs minister, speaker of the House of Commons. But what, how does that apply to being uh, a leader with vision? Well, and this, this is a, a very important point to make. I mean, having a vision for this country um, and, and debating ideas doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree with you. I mean, I, that's, that's a very important point to make. Um, but we don't have to be divisive and nasty about it. And in terms of vision for this country, my vision is a, is a country that is, that is more than the sum of its parts, that we, that we do start working together and that, and that we stop being you know, ashamed or embarrassed about being like a resource superpower, for example. And we need to start listening to each other. So this is a classic example, again, of where we, you know, we just let the politics of division take over. Canada is a resource superpower. We have some of the most uh, environmentally sustainable and ethically produced energy in the world. 
Uh, and yet, uh, you know, the, the, the issue of climate change and our environment has become so polarized uh, that we can't even have an intelligent conversation about making a transition away from carbon-based fuels, uh, but acknowledging that we are still going to be using carbon-based fuels for a long time. Uh, and nobody wants to talk about the fact that, you know, the, the oil sands, for example, they've reduced their carbon output by 30% over the last 15 years. That's remarkable. And they continue to do more research and, and innovate. You know, Canadians are innovative and they're entrepreneurial. We should be exporting technology around the world to help other countries reduce their footprint as well. Uh, but we should be acknowledging, too, that, you know, while we make that transition, we're still going to use carbon-based fuels, even if we get to net zero. That doesn't mean we're not using carbon-based fuels ever, but that's not part of the equation. We don't have that discussion. You know, you know, there's people in downtown Toronto who I've talked to that think, you know, Alberta just doesn't get it. Well, they don't realize all the incredibly remarkable things that they're doing to diversify their economy and to reduce their carbon footprint at the same time. We need to be talking about those things with each other. Uh, and this is, this is my vision for the country, that where we, where we actually talk to each other, we may not always agree, uh, but we agree that we live in the greatest country on earth and that we can make it better and that we can achieve our goals collectively um, and not fight about it, not hate each other in the process. And, and recognize that, you know, a, a vibrant Quebec is important for Alberta and a strong economy in Alberta is, is important for a vibrant Quebec. There, you know, we, we don't have to be, we don't have to be nasty and at each other's throats all the time. You know, to your point about the climate stuff and to resource development, and we hear people talk about it more and more with obviously energy dependency on Russia and saying, oh man, we got to get away from all of that. But then at, at the same time, to your point, there's people in, in urban environments who, who are just not at that part of the conversation. They're just still saying, why can't we shut down the oil sands? Uh, but I wonder how do we, I mean, I mean, I think you're talking about really the holy grail of, of, of turning something into a unity issue here because the facts are on the table. I always find it very interesting that the federal government's own energy fact book, Stephen Guipo's own, own department, gives us the tools to see, hey, we're actually reducing our emissions per capita. Hey, we are, you know, the cleanest of all the options out there. Let's move ahead with this. And yet uh, the prime minister will not at all. Uh, I know he says he supports some pipelines, but he's really not a champion for this. And the people who chain themselves to the pipelines or what have you, I think they kind of have heard these facts as well, but they just don't care. They're still chaining themselves to things. And the prime minister doesn't want to call on the cops to break that stuff up. I mean, how, how do you do it, Scott? Because I think that's that's the huge challenge, getting the stuff built. Well, I agree with you. And I think part of the issue that we've had as conservatives uh, is, is, that, is that for a couple of cycles now, we haven't really had the most credible climate plan. Mm. I, and and this is part of the issue. Right? You know, they're, 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 we have to be serious about this issue as conservatives as well. Uh, and so uh, we, we, we need to be able to speak to the issues that, that Canadians uh, care about, uh, and we need to be credible on all issues. And I think it's important that we make sure that Canadians that live, as an example, that live in urban areas need to understand that uh, maybe, maybe a carbon tax does make sense to them because they have a lot of different options to get to work, for example, or, you know, to heat their home or, or, or wherever it might be. But there are a lot of people in rural Canada um, who, you know, and, and people on fixed incomes, people that I represent, that I know full well, you know, they live literally hand to mouth. Like they, 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 I've had people call me in tears this past winter because they didn't know how they were going to eat and heat their home. And so, I, I, you know, there are people that don't understand those stories. Right. You know, they're not in a lot of work that I'm in where I, where I talk to people about these issues. There are lots of people in my writing that think the carbon tax is great. 
um, because, you know, it's helping them make some changes. I'm just saying we need to talk to each other. We, and, and, and this has always been my style to make sure that we try to understand the perspective of others uh, and recognize that, yes, we do need to reduce our footprint. We do need to meet our targets. Uh, but there are, there are better ways to do it that don't make the most vulnerable in our society pay the highest price. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's about language, it's about tone, and it's about making sure that conservatives have a credible plan, but also express it in a way that, uh, that is sincere and realistic and credible uh, and consistent. This is another important thing. We need to be consistent in our message uh, and speak to the issues that Canadians care about, no matter where they live, whether it's urban or rural, east or west, or, or, or wherever they were born and raised. This is what matters. So it sounds like you're saying you'd scrap the carbon tax, uh, but you do think a plan is important. What would your plan look like? Uh, actually, my plan would be pretty similar to Jean Charest's plan. I, you know, I, 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 regulation is going to be an important tool. The provinces are the, really, in many ways, the lead on this issue. And I think it's important to, you know, collaborate pretty closely with the premiers. I think, uh, you, know, uh, you know, some kind of carbon pricing on the large emitters and working with those, with those uh, companies as well. I, I would actually work really hard to come up with plans that actually assist Canadians to reduce their footprint as opposed to punishing them for not doing it on their own. Um, I, I just know that there are, there are, there are other ways to do it. Um, they might not happen quite as quickly as a carbon tax, but, or, or maybe not, you know, people are saying that, that the carbon tax is the most conservative way of doing this, but I, you know, I'm not hung up on ideology on this issue when it comes to making sure that, you know, the most vulnerable in our society can afford to live as well. So we need to, we need to help Canadians reduce their footprint, not punish them for it. Speaking about when it comes to top-down issues that are frustrating many people, uh, many Conservative Party members, things like the uh, the carbon tax being foisted upon them. Right now, one thing people are talking about a lot, the World Economic Forum. I get a lot of emails uh, from readers, from Conservative Party members saying they're frustrated with uh, people in Davos thinking that they can just totally talk down to regular folks and, and dominate all the issues from on high. Pierre Polyev has said he wouldn't even allow his government or cabinet ministers to attend forums like Davos, the World Economic Forum, a very controversial, uh, heated discussion right now. What is your take on the international gab fests where uh, predominantly very wealthy elite people talk about how they're going to manage the great unwashed? My my thinking on it is that we... is is. I, actually, I like your description of it. It is, it is an international gab fest of a bunch of gazillionaires. Uh, they don't control our government. They don't control, uh, you know, all things Canadian. They, they, you know, they, they, they talk. It is just a gab fest. Uh, and and if and if people in this country are concerned about what influence they have in this country, uh, you know, ask ask the people that you know are running for public office if you agree with some of the things that are being talked about. Uh, in those places. Uh, this is another important thing. There's a lot of things that get said at, at these World Economic Forum gab fests that I don't agree with. But you know what? I'm not afraid of them. We shouldn't be afraid of them just because we disagree with what they're suggesting. Uh, and and this, is, this is part of the problem. I mean, they, these people don't control our government. They don't control our country. Uh, and, and, and if you disagree with them, that's fine. Disagree with them. And if you don't like some of their maybe left-leaning ideas about about how the world should work, then don't vote for left-leaning politicians. Vote for right-leaning politicians. I think I think that this is part of the problem. We we we've tried to instill, uh, you know, so much anger and fear in people, and now we're just fanning the flames of it instead of talking sensibly and reasonably. 
uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there and, uh, you know, responsible politicians actually call them out for what they are. Uh, the World Economic Forum does not run our government, period. I do sense a lot of frustration, a sort of inchoate frustration among people that there are national, international, whatever sort of policy prescriptions that a bunch of people share in them, whether they're attending Davos or some other forum, when it comes to issues like bringing in a digital ID, which is a thing, as you know, four or five provinces are doing this in Canada right now, uh, in terms of immigration policies that they feel like aren't really being hashed out by MPs, but are more just sort of whatever the international trend is. Of course, climate comes from that. The, the Paris Accord deal is something that uh, we are voluntary signatories to, but the federal government acts like we got a gun to our head trying to meet these targets. They're not targets we have to meet, but we've, we've chosen to based on this sort of international colloquium where we signed up to all of this. And I think folks have a have a growing frustration or certainty with, with that trend. What are your thoughts on, on those concerns people have? I, I think that they're completely legitimate concerns. But the reason, but the reason they feel that way is because we have a politics that is designed for winning and nothing else. We need mm. to be listening to people. We need to we need to engage with our constituents again. Uh, you know, when 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 policy decisions are made at any level of government uh, w- without sufficient engagement and discussion with the people uh, that these policies affect. Then it's then it's no wonder people feel like they're being ignored because they are. People, you know, people people are have every right to be frustrated with a government that seems to ignore them. I, I and it happens at every level. Uh, it's just you see less of it at the local level because it is so local. Uh, and and so I I just think that it's important for us to make sure that we're engaging with our constituents and talking to them, and and not and not pandering to fears, but actually having intelligent discussions about ideas. I realize it might not be the most effective way to win elections, uh, but it is the most effective way to make sure that people are represented, and, and, and this is a representative democracy. Uh, and, and I think people are quite right to feel like they're being left out of the process because, because you know, our, our governments are run such that, you know, decisions are made in the prime minister's office. The PMO makes the calls. Uh, you know, l- lowly MPs don't have as much influence as they probably should. Um, I can think of no better focus group for a leader of a political party than chatting with their 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 caucus members because they're out talking to people in their communities every day. They know what's going on. We need to get back to that. We'll be back with more full comment with Scott Agenson in just a moment. Scott, you talked about your constituents calling and saying they got major problems whether they heat or eat in terms of whether or not you can pay the groceries or whether or not you can pay the heating bills. Things spiraling out of control in an economic sense. I saw on social media you were posting about how you are now ready to fight inflation and you want to you want people to join you in the fight against inflation. How do you do that? How does one fight inflation right now? How does one alleviate the daily woes that so many Canadians and, and your constituents are feeling right now? Well, I mean, inflation is is very much uh, an international issue. It's not just Canada that's dealing with it. Uh, part of it here, of course, is that we, you know, what we can do locally and, and within our country is certainly get the spending under control at the federal level. Uh, no one argues against the, you know, COVID supports that uh, that were necessary. I would suggest that some of them were uh, a little too lavish and and not all that well structured, but. 
there's there's no need to be trying to stimulate the economy right now with deficit spending like the liberals are doing when the economy is firing on all cylinders and we can't find enough people to work. Uh, so we need to get the spending under control at the federal level. We also need to be working uh, you know, within uh, in our international partners uh, to make sure that we're all sort of working towards that same goal. Um, but also, you know, it's important that the institutions that we that we have in this country to manage things like inflation, for example, the, the Bank of Canada, uh, that we, you know, that we, there is a process in place to make sure that the mandate of the Bank of Canada is precisely what the government and the people of Canada want it to be. Uh, and instead of trying to, you know, attack the Bank of Canada for, you know, missing its inflation targets over the last couple of uh, reporting periods, uh, instead of, you know, demonizing the Bank of Canada or the governor of the Bank of Canada, um, we need to make sure that we're, you know, engaging with the organizations that have actually, I think, worked very well for Canadians for, for decades and decades uh, to make sure that, you know, their mandate is correct uh, and and. and Make sure that we're that we're working towards those goals that actually help Canadians afford daily life. But the other thing too, of course, is that I've been talking about in this uh, election uh, for leader uh, is I think it's important that we you know not just stop with you know the inflationary pressures that we're seeing globally, but there's lots of things that we can be doing uh, as a country to make food more accessible for people as well. And one of those things is to end our supply management system. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that we need to demonize farmers. I think they've done very well in working in a system uh, that's existed for 50 years. But I think we need to transition away from the supply management system to create new opportunities for, for our farmers on world markets uh, and also create some more competition that actually makes food cheaper for, for Canadians that are struggling to eat as well. Um, this This to me is so... Uh, common sense, small C conservative policy, uh, and I'm 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 surprised that I'm the only one talking about it in the leadership race. Now, Scott, you mentioned we shouldn't be attacking the Bank of Canada governor. I know that's something Pierre Polyev did recently, one of the other candidates in the leadership race, saying he, he would fire the governor. Uh, part of me appreciates why we would say, oh, you know, that's uncharted terrain. We don't usually talk that way about that position. Part of me also wishes, though, that that you know, in the United States, they have a much more, much more robust culture where they do challenge the decisions of their judges more. And I know some judges are elected. I don't think we should do that here, but they challenge the judges more. They challenge, they're more critical of, of their bank figures. They're more sort of criticized in op-eds. Should we get in the game a bit more, whether it's firing the governor or not? I appreciate you said we shouldn't do that, but, but should we be much more engaged in these sorts of things? I mean, we're, we're, we're so, these are sacred cows. We're precious about this in Canada, but maybe we shouldn't be. Yeah, no, I think there absolutely should be more transparent discussion and debate about 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 our institutions and about the direction. Um, I, I think Canadians don't really understand much about the Bank of Canada or the process of reviewing the mandate every five years. Uh, and so, yeah, more openness, more transparency, more engagement with citizens and, and constituents to help them understand what the process is and get their input on these things. Absolutely. More engagement is always better. The more the more people involved in the conversation, I, you know, I guarantee you a better result. Um, but I, I think that, you know, attacking, um, you know, for the sake of drawing attention uh, doesn't actually solve any problems. Scott, you recently attended the French language conservative leadership debate. Lots of interesting things happening in Quebec. There's the controversial Bill 21 around religious garments. And then there's Bill 96, which just seemed to 
at least to many of us in English Canada, creep out of nowhere. It just came into effect. I was reading about it. I thought, wow, this is really something. A lot of people were surprised by it. I know you've made comments on, on both those pieces of legislation there. Uh, what is your message to Quebecers, your views on, on these bills? Well, my message to Quebecers is the same message I would deliver to all Canadians, and that is that, that you know, the rights of Canadians, particularly minorities, matter everywhere. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I look at I look at the situation here in North America where, you know, Quebec is a minority uh, French speaking, uh, you know, group of people and, and and they rightfully want their language and their culture protected. And Canada has done more to protect them in a sea of uh, English speakers uh, than than they would ever been able to do on their own. And so while. Well, we all stand up and protect the rights of the French minority in North America. It's important for the French minority uh, to protect the minority Anglophones who live uh, in Quebec. And so minority rights matter no matter where you are, uh, and we should all care about minority rights. Bill 96, really fascinating in terms of them really trying to curtail the use of English in, in so many spheres and in, in the public service and, and deliveries of public services uh, in private businesses. It, it really goes broad. A lot of people concerned about it all. Um, and I appreciate you and others have said this ain't this ain't going to fly with us. But then Quebec premiers have no problem using the phrase notwithstanding clause whenever they talk about uh, these sorts of pieces of legislation that make them stand out from the pack. How does a prime minister, how does a federal government deal with these types of legislation when a Quebec premier is is using words like that, tossing around the notwithstanding clause? Well, it starts with being principled and actually taking a stand and not worrying about the electoral prospects of taking the right stand. This is what leadership is. Uh, it's not political. It's about standing up for what is right, uh, even when it might look like you might lose a couple of seats because real leaders do what's right always. And so uh, I, I, I believe it starts with that. I think that uh, it, it's, it's good to see that, they, that, the, that the current federal government has finally taken a stand on the issue of Bill 21. Uh, and and Pre- Prime Minister Trudeau has actually expressed his concern about Bill 96. That's good. It took an awful long time for him to do that. Uh, but this, these are the kinds of things that we do. We actually you know, engage in the conversation instead of just cowering behind, uh, you know, this whole business of, oh, well, that's provincial jurisdiction um, because we're worried about the electoral implications of standing up for what's right. Um, It has to start there for sure. Scott, before we go, I know you're one of the candidates with a lower name recognition compared to, say, someone like Jean Charest, who we've been familiar with for, for a number of years, for decades here in Canada. As you go around the country and you're trying to persuade conservative voters to, uh, to, to select your name on the ballot, what's your message to them? What, what message would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, my, message, my message with conservative voters is that our movement is fractured. Uh, that we need to come together and we need to find our you know common purpose and we need to be united but unity isn't necessarily uniformity but we have to we have to come together and we have to demonstrate that you know we can be trusted to govern and lead we have to be consistent in our principles and and proud of our principles uh, our the, the principles of the conservative party are, are you know they're, they're universal uh, and we need to be consistent in that message and the only way we can do it is if we work together uh, and then and then deliver a consistent message uh, to all Canadians. And we can't stop screaming at each other and screaming at people we disagree with. Uh, I represent uh, somebody who can 
bring Canadians together, bring our party together, uh, find that common ground and move this country forward. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All the best. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.